Welcome to the Collective Language Podcast. I'm Ayana, and I am here with a very special um, volunteer community member, whatever you want to call it. Uh, how about you introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, if you're comfortable, where you're from, a fun fact, whatever you want. It's anarchy here. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, my name's Sarah. I go by she, her. Um, I guess fun fact is I started on this soccer team. I'm telling everyone about it, but we play at like 10 p.m. So we have a game tonight. Yes. Okay. Wow. Literally such a woman of the people doing this podcast when she has a soccer game tonight. <laughs> how generous. I know. I need to get my head in the game. How did I want to know, like how you got started with Collective Focus, um, how you got started with New York even. So, um, it's truly a wild story to me. Um, it definitely started for me in New York with the pandemic. Before that, um, I had organized and done... I've, I've actually worked at community centers for most of my life um, or nonprofits. Before the pandemic, about a year before, I was doing organizing in D.C. and I was working with this amazing group called One D.C. They had done this big fundraising campaign and this was my first experience doing fundraising, which is now the role that I find myself in today, which, you know, is what it is <laughs> in terms of how fun it is uh, to do. But um, they had been doing this huge million-dollar fundraising campaign to build uh, this building that's Black-owned called the Black Workers and Wellness Center in Anacostia, D.C. So that was most of my life. I was really just learning a lot in that position. I was mostly just supporting more of the lead organizers. I was kind of young and out of college. And then I'd worked with this other group called Resource Generation, which was, I'll get into it later, but uh, organizing young people with access to wealth to redistribute excess wealth or trust funds or whatever to movements and like community-based organizations. And so I had had a lot of that um, I got this job at a community center in Botswana. Um, I think I was just trying to travel and gain experiences outside of the U.S. That's always been really important to me. I think we're educated and informed in really particular ways here. So I was living over there in 2020 and 2019. And then the pandemic happened and just kind of ended everything that I had going on because everything shut down, you know. Um, it was an HIV clinic, so security was super, super high. And uh, they just sent pretty much everyone who wasn't from the country out of the country, like, in two days. Wow. So that uh, is basically how I got here because I had two friends that live um, two blocks away from where we are right now. And I ended up just going and staying on their couch because uh, I just really didn't have a plan. I didn't know what to do. The day I got to New York then in July of 2020, I also So met you came to New York for the first time yes. in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. I am from Pittsburgh and I feel like kind of a small town girl. And I was never like, let me go and do the thing in New York. And like, it just didn't uh, make sense to me. And it still doesn't make sense to me. It kind of like makes me laugh that this is where I live and... I'm so involved. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, 2020, it was it. And like, it was wild. The streets were pretty empty. So literally day one, 
I meet Bree. I meet our friend Paperboy Prince. Um, they were having a party at my friend's house. So learn about the fridges the day I get here. The next day, we did a distro. I met Abby that day. And Jaime, who's our other friend who was really involved in this. And yeah, I just went from there. My friend had a car. So I got really just into the food rescues pretty quickly. Um, I would just steal her car during the day because she was working. (laughs) She was like doing Zoom work and I was just like driving everywhere. And I didn't know literally anything about anything. And I was just driving around. um, But I had all this free time because... I was then just like basically going to start school in about a month. Well, you were so you were in school during this time too? Yeah. So, yeah. Like masters, undergrad. Yeah, I started this masters program um that was in Ireland and again <laughs> Uh, the goal Pitbull was like, has a run for his money because you are Mrs. Worldwide. Yeah, it's like hilarious. Um, well, my family's from Ireland and I've always really loved it there. And I s- ended up studying this sociology program that centered on decolonization theory and like critical race theory. How long were you in Botswana for? Not, uh, not as long as I planned to be. Um, I think six or seven months. Six or seven months. That's nice. So you talked about, like, wanting to be educated outside of, like, the American worldview. Like, how do you think that has kind of informed the work that you do today? Um, hugely and 100%. This is the exact, I think, my involvement in this is a, like, direct result of that. Um... I, at the time in D.C., you know, like I was saying, getting radicalized, learning about the world and the way that our system works and the colonized frame of reference that we approach so many things and gentrification in our cities. Mostly I was learning about that in D.C. and uh, modes of resistance like tenant unions Um, and then what I started to learn more deeply about was collective structures and ways that people in so many parts of the world set up either governance systems or local municipalities or worker co-ops, just collectively run organizations and how that can prevent hierarchies and hierarchical thinking and um imbalances of power from like manifesting and just building into what we have today here where there's this huge just insane level of inequality that we see in New York you know um so that's what I was learning about and then I was here learning about New York and just experiencing the huge differences, just one neighborhood to the next or one street to the next, you know, and just like, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't make sense. The way we exist makes no sense. It's so real. Like in the city, just like living in such close quarters with like vastly different classes, it's like actually crazy to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say also, 
I think that's, like, huge because even when I was, like, learning what a co-op even was, because, like, I did not know what a co-op was until I kind of started to myself get into, like, more other, just different ways of political thinking. Like, one of the main co-ops that I studied, even in classes I take, was, like, in Spain, I think, is, like, the largest co-op in the world. And people act like it's a new thing. They've been running for decades, like, a long time. And, um... I would not have known about that if I hadn't looked up um, other business models from other countries. Yeah, this is absolutely not a new thing. Yeah. You know, we're just learning. And we have so much to learn from, from people who've been doing this, who, you know, have tried this. And there's been challenges because obviously we know what it's like to go through challenges and trying to make this happen. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot to, to to grow on with it. Yeah, so kind of going in the timeline of your um, of your life, like, so when you got to New York, did you find that the, you talked about, like, using your friend's car to go do, like, food drops and stuff like that. Um, did you find that this framework kind of already existed, or do you feel like you were part of, like, the building of it as well? I mean, I think... I know the the framework for mutual aid has existed. Yeah, I mean, for like, for like the fridges and how we operate. Yeah, with the fridges, I mean, it was just unfolding in that exact moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we did like went to do fridge shelter builds for. I think I was there for three builds. Um, I think our team was at five different builds. There were so many people. There was this national call that happened in 2021 because mm-hmm. it just exploded so quickly. A national um, call of community fridges? Yeah, fridges wow. that happened. Um, Chicago like had a really strong network and still does. Denver had fridges. L.A. Um, now there's some in Pittsburgh. They're, they were kind of awesome. late to the game, but I'm really happy there's three in Pittsburgh that I've known about so far. Um, Philly, Miami. Yeah, there's there's fridges all over the, the country. And there were people on that call that were international, too, because there's some in Europe. I know there's some in South America. Um, so I think the idea kind of exploded. But I think the reason it exploded is that there's a few reasons, but people have done small small ways of, like, clothing swaps. Before the pandemic, I remember seeing those little libraries, like I think the concept of mm-hmm. a public space of exchange makes a ton of sense to people. And I think it's actually like no question. Once you see it exists, it's bec- it becomes a norm so easily, which is what we found here with the space. The space concept kind of started with the idea of the free closet because at fridges, obviously people were able to share food, but then so many other goods that people would try and share there were shelving that people tried. There's so many different amazing, innovative ways that activists have tried this all over the city and different boroughs and other cities. Um, but what we were seeing was that with clothes, sometimes then it'd just be like bags of clothes left on the ground or like books that then get rained on, things like that. So it was like, okay, if there was a space to actually s- store, process, make things really nice that could then just go right back out into community um and also storing a lot of the goods that were needed a big thing with building the fridge shelters and that that i think was actually the push for that national call that happened 
was when winter just started coming um, at the end of 2020. And then again in 2021, it was like, okay, there's like hundreds of fridges that exist and it's about to snow a ton in all the these John cities. snow winter is coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I remember this one guy on the call had a really cool blueprint that he sent around of a structure that they did. And different people just started kind of finding and partnering with carpenters. Um, we had an amazing friend named Omri. I remember actually being with him because this room used to be our free closet. Yes, and I remember he, that. He's yeah. the person that built it out. But he also had all this knowledge and helped conceptualize and do a blueprint for the fridge structure that we ended up using, or the shelter structure that we used for our shelters and a couple other shelters around. Wow. One being the Bushwick Grind. Um, this just down Broadway. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of that. It was like, okay, there's these fridges. Now there's this effort to build up structures around the fridges, which just requires more volunteer support, more maintenance, and then storage for wood, paint, supplies like that, you know, the, all the supplies that surround the fridges beyond the food. Um, so that's just where the concept of having a large space specifically geared towards exchanging resources with that with like processing and storage being the center that's amazing and i i know you also said kind of like you 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 had no intention of really like new york is my place um you kind of just came here and started a community like do you have any like almost tips honestly because i find that really aspirational of like wherever you find yourself just like starting community like what was that like? Did you have, was there resistance? Were you, were you kind of open, welcome with open arms? Like, how was it to integrate yourself into a community that you like, because you, you started immediately kind of on the ground. Um, how was that to integrate yourself into a new community while doing this work? I feel really blessed for that time and for everyone that was around and just for all of the moving energy that was happening. Um, Sometimes it feels kind of magical what was happening at that time, honestly. You also have to understand, like, too, like, I'm I'm from the greater New York area, and, like, I remember driving through New York City um, right during shutdown. Like, it was literally crazy, like, bodies and stuff, like, crazy. And people were leaving the city in what seemed like droves. Yeah. And you... Like, finding out that you came here for the first time at that time and decided to, like, stick it out when I personally know born and bred New Yorkers that left is, like... Yeah. I, like, honestly, I... Once everything kind of was happening, it just, like, was so clear so fast with the pandemic that more people with less resources were going to be so much more extremely impacted because they did a little bit of expanded um, unemployment. And I think that's definitely a reason that mutual aid was able to boom because when people have their basic needs met, we look out for each other. That's just like what that showed is that everyone was doing it once the resources and time existed to do it. And I think... A lot of people were encouraged and, you know, obviously it was really important to, to stay safe and keep people safe um, in terms of the virus. But I also think 
the encouragement towards isolation um, brought a lot of disassociation to a lot of people that even, you know, like what's going on in the news this week and what's kind of always happening in this society of just like terrible violence and like state violence happening, um, which I think is what we could say for the inequities of deaths and stuff in, in our cities and the lack of resources given. I don't know, honestly, for me, just something snapped and I knew there was things that I could do. I knew that I came from a privileged position and from that, even fundraising, doing the basic stuff, asking people online to support things. And again, this is where then I had to just be like, okay, got to get on fucking Instagram and like do the thing (laughs) with that um, that I really didn't want to do. And I definitely think it's unhealthy for me. I I don't like it. Um, But I just think the biggest thing to learn that I've learned from the situation and that I hope other people can see is that we do have a lot of power. Obviously, there's power in collective organizing and collective power, but as individuals, I think each of us has so many talents and skills or for people with privilege or access to specific resources, there's so much that can be done. You know, like, it's just a fact. And anyone, I think, who has graduated university, that opens you up to this whole whole network of people that are then in legal spaces or finance spaces. That's how we got um, our initial first few months of rent is that one of my friends works in finance. We just sent a few emails and we got thousands of dollars from those people and so I think that's something really that that I just like really like want to echo is that there's so much power in just putting something out there and trying to leverage the resources of the spaces that we're in or that we have access to to actually impact or support people that are at least doing stuff on the ground. I myself even often wonder, like, at what point do we come together and to kind of just, like... Because I feel like a lot of people feel like how you're describing of, like, something just clicked and it was, like, this is work that I feel called to do. Um, And I think it's really beautiful. And I also wanted to highlight kind of related to the hub of like you mentioned how you worked in a nonprofit that wasn't geared towards the poor but geared towards the rich in some ways to get them to use their resources to help out I think one I feel like that's very unique but to me kind of just highlights the difference that I feel feel between like charity and mutual aid right because charity is always geared towards the poor let us help you let us do these things for you um but this is kind of like no we're redistributing and you're gonna be in community with these people that you don't have to be in community with right because money a lot of the time can means that you don't have to Mm. interact with people that you don't want to you don't have to think about poor people when you have money in a lot of cases but it's like no we're gonna make you be in community with these people and we're gonna redistribute help you to redistribute your resources I think that's really really powerful yeah and I would say the concept not even being geared towards any one group in particular but towards 
the trust in the collective and cyclical energy and like recycling basically i feel like we're a recycling plant honestly but in 700 square feet and with paint yes (laughs) and laughs um but yeah like redistribution as a concept because i mean obviously and i think something that i'm sure other mutual aid organizations even disagree with the route that we took in tour in going into the nonprofit space and it's something we didn't want or intend to do initially um but money clearly is something big in terms of what obviously should be redistributed in terms of reparations but also just you know at the level of like we're saying with the wealth gap that we experience in new york there's it's not that the problems can be solved overnight but a lot of things could really change if people agreed to redistribute portions of their wealth and have plans of doing that to mutual aid groups to people just directly or to community-based movements like that's something that a lot of people could do if they feel like there's something that they can't do but also redistribution existing beyond money because it isn't that just people with money have so much because we know that they're lacking in so many ways as well you know in terms of like engagement and fulfillment in life or skills knowledge resilience there's i think a lot there um that maybe is a a different discussion but we had a sewing workshop the other day that one of the community members led that isn't living i'm really sad i missed it by the way i know (laughs) we're gonna get there um just Skill sharing is things that we're all able to do. We've been able to skill share by learning the carpentry from building the shelves. Um, the way that we're even learning how to build out these systems or learning about... We're learning audio engineering by doing this podcast. Literally right now. <laughs> um, yeah, all of that. The, the skill sharing is things that are ways for each of us to empower ourselves and empower each other and build up these really powerful... Um, like a, a really powerful community is what we're doing because we're each other's references for jobs. We're each other's guides and facilitators for different knowledges. And we're sharing, we, we all share clothes, obviously. <laughs> like we're, you know, we're just like basically building power actively and able to witness it by just opening up the the pathway of sharing kind of like, it's really simple things like that, Obviously, us having a space is really helpful in facilitation, but also everyone can do by just opening that emotional door and talking to neighbors and then learning more about other people and seeing what what each of us have have to offer. Yeah, I think that's all really beautiful. Um, I want to touch in a little bit on creativity and wellness. Um, Do you have, like, a main creative outlet that you love? Do you kind of have like a creative side thing going on like how do you think creativity shows up in your life so there's a challenge there with my creativity but I do write a lot and that was kind of more of what my goals were um before this all happened uh was getting more into writing through like the sociology stuff I was learning doing pieces on society culture like essays Um, or like creative writing or not creative writing, I should reframe, like fiction 
writing or like I think essays and stuff? Some narrative. I think a lot of like kind of pieces about social issues. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the main thing. Um, and that's even kind of the way that like I process alone is by writing about different things. And so, yeah, that's something I do on the side, but I'm really interested in pursuing it more. And that's definitely a goal of mine um, soon. But, I, yeah, I just kind of... I think I express my creativity in a few different ways just for myself and even kind of in the work. It's like being really embodied in what I'm doing is what I feel like the goal of creativity is. And so I work towards that with with like wellness practices like meditation um, and just presence. And I used to do a lot with the wellness team here. And so I think that's the way that I've engaged my creativity in the past four years while we've been doing this. Do you feel like your writing is a way of expressing yourself or is it like a form of communication? Like how does how does writing factor into your wellness? Like what do you feel like you release or gain from your writing? Yeah, I think there's expression and even kind of clarifying things for myself. I do a lot of like self-reflection um, and that's what a lot of my writing has focused on um, because like I said, I do think I came from a place where I was really uneducated and um, so I've had to process a lot and work through a lot of generational issues and um, kind of patterns. And so a lot of my writing is that, but in connection to a lot of social things, because I think I've always connected like the personal with public and kind of even internal emotional patterns with large world issues. I think there's a lot of overlap in those spaces. So that's a very creative way of teaching that only a teacher, only a writer, only a creative person could get that point across. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. And I even think we both seem to have connected a lot to um, All About Love by Bell Hooks. Because I know you brought it up and that's my thesis for the Masters centered a lot on that book and like a lot of personal self-reflection in connection with like larger political themes and all really connecting to like collectivizing is being like her. She she has community love is one of the chapters. Um, I think that's something that like a lot of my core beliefs come from and that I've learned a lot from. And she does it by sharing personal stories and reflecting with more theory heavy writings, yeah. you know, going back and forth. And there's a few other writers that have been like way, yeah, way more impactful. For me, the uh, book that had a, a huge impact i literally had to take a break halfway through reading it because it got to be a lot and i had like several journal entries about just like the first half of the book before i can continue but it was the autobiography of asada shakur um her book was really impactful for me and just like learning about how 
because it's really easy to read laws and be like, especially with like the jargon they put in in there that the random people wouldn't know what that really means. Um, it's really easy to feel distanced from all this stuff. But when you see it in the context of somebody's life, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is horrible the way that it's impacting people. Um, but what I love about Bell Hooks too is like, she, yeah, kind of just like what you said of like, she has such a compassionate way of writing it. Cause everyone always says that that book is like a read, like a personal read on their lives. And it's always because she has this way of being like, I'm going to tell you my story the nice way. I'm going to tell you the fact, the research way. And now I'm going to say, nope, I'm talking about you too if you didn't get it already. Yes. <laughs> like she has a very clear way of being like, I promise you this affects you. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah, it's definitely good to have access to being self-reflective i think Mm -hmm. with everything right now like huge issues we see huge people who obviously are at the root of a lot of issues but then also those same patterns showing up in i think many of us not all obviously but a lot of us like me i think it's extremely important and again one of the reasons i definitely was really not trying to be someone who was like one of the thousands of gentrifiers in Brooklyn, you know, like for me to point fingers at anyone really doesn't make sense right now. I think the best thing for me to do is reflect and see those mirrors and like be constantly self-assessing what I'm doing and try to be open to other people that want to teach me better ways of doing things. Um, But yeah, that's what we need from everyone right now I think yeah and it kind of just goes back to too with like even your work of like distribution like there is a way to fold those people into our community and have them redistribute and have them contribute um I think that's a very fair way of having them join our community um, okay, so I have a million-dollar question for you. Should you choose to accept the challenge? Okay. <laughs> so we have, can you create, and I want to personally add, strategize. Can you create or strategize better in comfort or in struggle? Wow. So I'll give you a second to think about that. Um, I like to add strategize because create feels like really personal when you bring something from you but like strategize as a collective or as someone a part of the collective um I think is also a fair question wow I feel like my answer is a cop-out answer but I do I think that it depends on the extreme level of one of the of either of those two Mm -hmm. because um I think many people with kind of on the extreme level of comfort um are then like inherently disassociated from extreme struggle and basically should be working more so to support people who are closer to the center of the struggle of that issue or the issues that are combining around that space. Um, I think 
I don't really feel that I can speak for the space of extreme struggle at all, actually. But I do think that in times of extreme chaos, it, from what I've observed in my situation, it can be harder to build structures that are sustainable, you know, it like in times of crisis when emotions are high. Um, and I think that's like a physiological thing, but I do think each of us process pain differently. So I don't really feel like, I think it really is different person to person and experience to experience. Yeah. And I, I feel like you made a really good point about like for strategizing, it's always like, it, it's hard to build something that sustains because you're if you're in extreme struggle, it's like I'm worried about surviving today, the second, yeah, right now, like ten years from now, don't got time for that right now because I need to worry about tomorrow. Um, so I think for strategizing, absolutely, I totally agree with your statement. For like creative art, what do you think? I think that many of the creatives and even intellectuals, like the extremely intelligent people that I know, um, have had experiences of struggle. I think that growing up in privilege um, can lead towards like, I don't want to use this word. Less engagement. Honestly, the word is laziness, but I just wasn't trying to use a judgment <laughs> word. Um, but I really, I, I actually do think it encourages that more. Um, so I think from what I see, the more creative people I know have experienced struggle, but I also think that there, are, again, are limits to where then there's space and time where people's people are so limited by having to solely focus on paying rent, paying the bills and like have so much creative potential, which honestly is the other, it's like the double-sided coin of like so many people that we know and in our community of like geniuses, which in which if we had UBI or housing for all or housing and food for all and UBI, which universal basic income for those healthcare for all, if we had, our basic needs met, there would be unbelievable innovations and art produced and creative structures that definitely are stifled right now, which obviously we know is intentional by people having to stay in the grind and make ends meet and just scramble to for basic resources and, and yeah. stay stuck in like the loop of debt or bills you know and honestly i think what you said is like so fair because even in like speaking from my own personal experience in my episode with tsunami like i kind of was like as an artist we talked he um asked if the same question but kind of geared towards is it easier to make a project big budget little budget and even in like my own thing i was like i'm not gonna lie 
when I have a big budget, the first idea, if we can afford it, bam, why not? Why not? First idea. Why give it a second thought? We got the money, you know, (laughs) Um, which may seem like a little lazy on my part. But like if I am really like penny pinching and trying to figure out like and even to some extent, like even my my value of like making sure that people are paid, I'm going to be like, how can we economize this big budget so that everyone gets paid as much as they possibly can? Um, Because projects are few and far in between these days um but yeah it it is a little bit lazy on my part to be like we got the budget do whatever you want first try why not as opposed to like really thinking hard and long about building something long lasting building something um just being strategic yeah that i will just say i think that's literally my life with collect focus is being the person economizing everything or like any grant that we get because there are these really big ideas and there's also a bunch of different people doing stuff. And so it's like kind of having everything fit out. Um, and there's a lot of expenses with even just existing as a space. So yeah, the economizing is a thing for right now. And again, why we should be bringing money into spaces like this. Okay, and then do you have anyone that you or anything you want to promote, shout out? Um, this is my thing that I would shout out. Collective Focus Hub. <laughs> yes, on Instagram and TikTok at Collective Focus Hub. And yes. I think we have a Facebook. We do have a Facebook. Collective Focus <laughs> on Facebook. There's not that many. It's <laughs> yeah, great. Um, yeah, yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> so awesome and i want to promote sarah and all the work that you do um and your constant commitment to this work to us and yeah i hope you find ways to thrive in the future and always thank you you Um, too so i've been ayana with sarah and thank you for listening to this episode of collective language see you next week